fourth edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti... It's going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys today. Guys, the Tar Heels, they won a road game. They went on the road last night in a hostile KFC Yum Center and earned a 90-83 to 83 win over Louisville in a game that was a lot closer than it should have been. Louisville entered with just an 11-10 and 10 record, 5-6 and six in the league, but was without their best player who got suspended the night before the game. Of course, they had fired, bought out their head coach, Chris Mack, the previous week, but we told you leading up to the game that Louisville was going to fight and they were going to try to find a way to salvage what's become a lost season. And and that was definitely the case during last night's game. But the, the thing that stood out was Carolina's composure and the way that they didn't give in to the moment. You play this game two weeks ago, Carolina gets beat. They probably get blown like blown out like they did at Wake Forest and at Miami, if we're being quite frank. But as we talked about last week with those three games at home, you had to get confidence back in yourself as a team and, and the coaching staff. But that needed to be used as a springboard for the second half of the ACC slate, where you still got to play Duke twice, you got to play Florida State, you got to go to Virginia Tech. You you still got some losable games on the back half of the schedule and it it wasn't the most convincing way to make us feel like that like Carolina applied those things last night but they won a game that they would have lost just a couple weeks ago and I think that's that's telling about this team and where they're headed as of right now it's a game that we knew was eventually coming on the schedule. We knew that there was going to be a game somewhere along the line, probably on the road, where a team that wasn't that talented, like this team was, was going to come in, they were going to shoot the lights out from deep, and Carolina was going to have to find a way to scramble and pull out a tough victory. And, you know, it stinks because, look, this Louisville team is awful. There's there's no way around that. This this team came in, they, they, even Boston College, who Carolina played earlier this year, Georgia Tech, those teams had guys when they played them that averaged double figures in scoring. Coming into last night, the Cardinals' only double-figure scorer was Malik Williams, and he did not play. Yep. So, you... You expected that this should be a game that you should be able to beat this team convincingly, but we knew that was probably not going to happen because of the struggles that this team has had on the road this season. And, you know, but there is a lot of credit that is due to Carolina because they worked through those struggles and found a way to win this game. Um, this was easily one that could have gotten away from them, especially after, you know, I, I said it to you when we were watching the game, and I reiterated it earlier today when we were preparing for the show. When they got up by 10, you honestly thought to yourself, okay, this is what we saw early, mm-hmm. earlier in the year. We saw it against the College of Charleston when they picked up a road win. We saw it against Michigan at home. We saw it against Georgia Tech at Georgia Tech, where they had that, Second half burst early on, pulled away, left them in the dust. 
you thought that was what was going to happen. But Louisville responded, and that th- there was a point where you honestly were saying to yourself, this probably isn't going to go the Tar Heels way. Well, I mean, I tweeted it out at the under four timeout. You got, and it was three minutes and 57 seconds. Mm-hmm. Carolina was trailing, entering the entering that final break. Their season was on the line in terms of making the NCAA tournament. They entered last night's game still on the 11 line. Last night's win doesn't improve it, but they I think were, it honestly, I think it honestly hurts it a little bit. You know, they entered as one of the teams with the last four buys. Yep, you lose that game, you're probably putting yourself in a situation where you have to either sweep Duke, which if isn't realistic it, even even when Carolina's good it's not realistic to anticipate sweeping them to expect it yeah 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 or you either got to split and at least make the ACC tournament final and even that you're still probably playing in the first four in Dayton but that win right now keeps you in the field and then if you win on Saturday now you're a little bit more safely in the field and look there's no way that was communicated to them during the huddle because you don't tell your kids that that hey your season's on the line but I thought up until Caleb Love had that that turnover Mm -hmm. which was as awful a live turnover I've ever seen in my life just 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 a lack of basketball awareness awareness. lack of a basketball IQ Uh, that was what it was up until that moment happened I thought they played with the it, the desperation this team has to play with. And and it's cuz you see that at home. They play with the desperation at home. Right. Last night was the first time you've seen it on the road outside of the College of Charleston's and the Georgia Techs where they had that desperation feel where the the F, I didn't question their effort in the second half. The first half I questioned their effort. But I thought once the game settled in and they knew they were in for a rock fight, I thought they fought back. And that's something that we wouldn't have said two weeks ago. And that I've been the most critical human of Hubert Davis that has a a platform to voice his concerns about a head coach. You might just be the most critical human. That that also that's could could very, very well possible. be it. But that's a testament to his staff. To him as a coach, that his players fought back, and they didn't play well. It wasn't pretty, but we told you going into the game, it's not going to be pretty. No, and I think finding ways to win—that's why winning those games you did against Virginia Tech and Boston College—that showed up last night. Well, it carried over. That was basically in the same category as those those games. Just better. Just just more offense. <laughs> Well, what I'm saying is, is that was that was a game that fit in the category of it can't really help you, but it can it can sure it can sure hurt you, mm-hmm. and you had to be able to come away with a win. That's the most important thing right now because here's the here's the deal with this: even if you lose both two games, if you win every other game, you're going to make the tournament. Your record's going to be too good for you not to make the tournament. So again, it's about taking care of those. Believe it or not, <laughs> that is somehow a quad two win because it's on the road. I know that team's eleven and eleven now, five and seven in the conference, but that's a quad two win. Yep. So it's significant. So you've got to be able to take care of those. I thought they want one of the things that we've questioned about this team throughout the year is how well they can take a punch from another team. Well, in this game. It wasn't just one punch that you took. This was a 12-round fight where the opponent won a few rounds, and you had to keep fighting back multiple times. And I think also that shows the leadership of some of these guys on the court. I know that there's going to be a lot of controversy around it, and to be honest with you, it's probably rightfully so because Armando Baycott should not have been in the game late. When he grabbed when he grabbed the leg of, the, of of I don't remember which player I think it was Cross going down the court that should have been the fifth foul he should have been out of the game there's no doubt about that in my mind but you could see that there is more intensity more fire from him and that 
is a way of showing leadership. Again, he's not the communicator that's going to point everything out in the court, but we are looking for these guys that want to step up and be leaders on this team because we pointed it out and Hubert Davis has pointed it out that those leaders are not very clear and evident. Mm -hmm. So this was one of those games where I think you saw Armando step up, you saw Brady Manick step up, and they played big roles in a game where Carolina needed them because if they didn't, then we're on here talking about a loss, and, and as you said, one that will drop them out of the tournament field and would make it extremely... uh, an extremely narrow path to get back into that tournament field. I I thought the thing last night was Carolina played with that level of toughness that Hubert Davis is pleaded for his team to play with. And they haven't played that tough all year long. And by that, I mean, as you said, they got punched in the mouth early. They got punched in the mouth in the second half a handful of times. And they didn't fold. And I thought the rebounding margin was narrow. It, they only out-rebounded Louisville by three. But they competed, and they fought, and they fought. And that's that's how this team's going to win games on the road. Can we also, because I, I didn't see anybody do it, can we also give credit to Louisville? Because they're playing, they're playing very hard for... You just said they were awful. Now you want to credit them for being awful? I mean, well, go, go right ahead. But here's the thing. They're not a good team. You, you, the, the guys that were on the floor, you should have been able to handle easier than you did. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, you got 41 rebounds on the glass with one guy that was over 6'9", and that was a dude that played 10 minutes and had only played in four games before last night. On second thought, you can credit Louisville because that means you're crediting me because I told you entering the game that they were going to play hard and they were going to... Make, yeah, it, I make, mean, it, make it tough on Carolina. They're playing hard for, for Mike Pegues. The problem is, is you know, I still don't think they are talented. The, I, it drives me insane that Carolina wasn't able to dominate them more inside in a game where they were as small as they were on the interior and as inexperienced as they were on the interior. Yeah. A so bi- A big reason why Carolina got the win, all five starters scored in double figures. Because they scored all 90 of Carolina's points. Carolina got outscored on the bench 44 to nothing. Um, That's the last time they have not scored a bench point since 1998 and won a game. I I mean, yeah, this is – I'm going to be honest. If you had told me early in the year with how well they shot that they would win a game where they shot less than 30% for the first time in program history – and they would win a game where they had no bench points for the first time since, you said, 98? Yep, 98. I would have told you, you must you must be thinking about the 20 team or the 19. That, that is mind-blowing. But with, with the bench, I think in fairness... You've lost you've lost two significant rotation players and it's starting it's starting to show. Yep. Maybe not scoring wise for Anthony Harris. I think that's more losing Dawson Garcia there because we know if you if you never lose Dawson Garcia, then Brady Mannix your spark plug off the bench. With him not there, you, it's it's limited. The yep. group is limited and you're seeing the the, the residual effects of that. I mean, yeah, again, you got to credit the starters. They all scored in double figures. Then again, you're probably going to do that most nights where you play 39 minutes or more for everybody. But they do deserve a lot of credit for stepping up. And and really, the thing they need to be praised for the most is their, is their stamina. That was not a team that, in overtime, looked tired. Nope. Where against Boston College, that team looked real tired. Yep. So you got to credit them there. Let's take a look at the box score from Carolina's win. Carolina shot 44% from the field. They were 31 of 71. They held Louisville to 40%, 28 of 70. Carolina shot 46% from behind the arc. They were 12 of 26 as both Manic and R.J. Davis knocked in four triples. But Louisville stayed in the game because they were 15 of 35 from behind the arc. L. Ellis made five threes, all of them in the second half, to get to to help score his twenty-five points. Carolina was sixteen of twenty from the foul line. That was eighty percent. Louisville was twelve of fifteen, also eighty percent. 
Big reason why Carolina won on the road. They took care of the ball, just 10 turnovers, which Louisville only scored 10 points off of those turnovers. So after that week of turning the ball over on the road and giving up virtually two points per turnover, Carolina's now back a holding opponents to just a roughly one point per turnover that they commit. Louisville score or Louisville forced or Louisville committed, excuse me, 12 turnovers. Carolina got 13 points off of their turnovers. We mentioned the rebounding 44 to 41 in favor of Carolina. 33 to 30 on the defensive glass. Both teams had 11 offensive rebounds. Carolina converted those into 12 second chance points. Louisville just had eight. Then here's the bench points again 44 to nothing in favor of Louisville. Of course, Ellis had 25 of those off the bench, all in the second half in overtime. That's like another part of that quirky stat where it's like you let a guy in 25 minutes score 25 points and you still won the game. I don't know if they just didn't realize you you can stop him from going to the basket. He got some of the easiest looks I have ever seen a guy get at the rim. Again, I mean, it, they. It, I don't know if this is just a guy that they were not expecting to go off or whatever, but, I mean, you're right. He did nothing in the first half for them. All of a sudden in the second half, they and, and in, even in overtime, no no answers for him. That just that blew my mind. Kind of reminded me when I scored my career high in rec league, 13, all in the second half, knocked in three three-pointers. Wow. I can't believe – see – See, I know this is actually true because you've been lying for probably years now on the podcast about a 35. That's point a church game. league. Those are two different leagues. No. This was, this was rec league. No, I that was, was actually your career high. 13 was actually your career high. That was <laughs> let, before I retired to the church leagues. Let's clear it up. That was actually your career high. Yes, considering in in high school, I played only J- JV basketball. That's it. It's all I, right. You know who else only played JV basketball? One of the greatest coaches in college basketball history, Mr. Roy Allen Williams. No, he was a varsity player and played on the freshman team. I was on the freshman team of my I high school. I thought he only played on the JV team no. when he was at Carolina. He was their leading scorer when he left the high school. Go back and read the book. No, at Carolina. Oh, yeah. He only played for the JV team at Carolina. The That's what I'm team. saying. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that was at the time basically JV. Yes. I, I scored five points my entire high school basketball career. Hey, I, look, don't you chat. I, I know my Roy history. Okay? I had well, you a, watch it. I had a layup and I had a three-pointer. Those were big days for you, dude. And I missed two free throws on a road game that cost us the game, and I had to run last oh, the next man. day. Oh, man. Oh, no. Then I went to the church leagues. I like these. See, I like these stories. Tore these my are ACL 35 points later. <sighs> they were building statues. Back to, back to the lies. But I, I thought I thought that was crazy. When I saw those numbers trickling out of after the game, I was like, yep. Uh, both teams, 24 points in the paint. Carolina, 25 fast break points against NC State. None, <laughs> none last night. And they and they had seven steals. And they scored ninety. How points. do you not have? How would you score ninety steal? points and not have a fast break bucket? Like that's the most mind blowing. Well, thing. to be fair, they had seventy four at the end of the. At, you at still scored ninety points though. And regulation. You, and you didn't. You didn't have a single breakaway layup dunk. So I, I thought that was mind blowing. Getting out scored forty four nothing off the bench. 13 to nothing in the fast breaks. Carolina 5 to 4 the advantage in the blocks. 7 to 5 advantage in steals. 18 to 14 advantage of assist. The game was tied 9 times. There were 13 different lead changes cuz it was a fun night in the KFC Yum Center for those of us that liked the team and Carolina Blue. Let's move on to the quote of the game. Here's Schubert Davis talking about his team staying poised on the court with all the stuff going on off the court during the final moments of last night's win at Louisville. There was a lot of stuff going on, and uh, there was stuff that was going going on in the stands. And you know, one of the things that I actually yelled at the guys is is the action is here. <laughs> I don't care what's going on in the stands. The action is us. It's on the floor. So our attention to detail, our focus, 100% has to be on us. Whatever happens in the stands happens in the stands. And so those are um, conversations that we had. Great stuff there from Hubert Davis. Stat of the game, 
There was a lot of stats that we would have been picking out of Carolina lost, but they didn't lose. Ultimately, we went with the free throws because Carolina was 16 of 20, but you had, and we're going to get to the officiating here in a second, Mm -hmm. you had the technicals in the final minutes that really made it from a one-possession game to a three-possession game, which effectively ended the game there with about a minute 15 left to go. This is something that has played Carolina the last couple years. They haven't been a good free-throw shooting team. Mm -hmm. They're not a great free-throw shooting team, but they're hovering around that north of 75 percentile as a team, and and that's that's why they are where they are. And last night, they made their foul shots. Caleb Love made up for going just 3 of 18 from the field, 9 of 10 from the foul line. Armando didn't kill you. He was 3 of 5, so... You got to be confident that this team is becoming more consistent at that foul line after that stretch there in the middle part of conference play where they were hovering around the low 70s, high 60s. They're back in the upper upper 70s, sometimes that low 80s, and that's a big reason why they were able to get the dub last night. So with that, guys, we are going to take a quick break. Then we're going to come back and dive into some more thoughts, takeaways, generalizations from last night's win on the road at Louisville. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 or older, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibitive. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text to Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. First thing we got to talk about coming out of last night's game is what everyone's talking about, which was the officiating. And look. It wasn't great, but had Carolina lost the game, we weren't going to come on here and blame the officiating. So we're not going to come on here and say we won the game because of the officiating. Yeah, I was going to say, to be fair, I don't think that we are the ones that have the beef in this one. For the first time, and and we've had games before that we've, we've addressed, but this is how you know that it was it was pretty bad. If if we're bringing up a game where people are saying that we got the benefit of the doubt, you know there were some plays where even we're sitting there like, hmm, okay, yeah. And I mean, look, they missed some calls, and yep, and 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 the reaction that Mike Pegues gave the officials, it was warranted. I know people are saying that he effectively cost his team the game. But that how, is, how many of us would have reacted the same way? I mean, it, it would have. I I would have lost it. I I'm going to be honest. I probably would have gone Bobby Knight. I I would have I would have slung my chair across that court. Yeah. Um. But that's not why Carolina won. And I think that's where I got the most frustrated. Did it impact the game? Officiating impacts every game. Yep. Don't. Don't allow your team to be in a situation where the officiating is dictating the outcome of the game. And I thought that was the thing that Carolina did the best, was even though the calls were going their way, there were some calls that didn't go their way. They didn't get caught up in that. Louisville did. 
because their head coach got caught up in that because he's coaching his eighth game as an interim head coach. Yeah, and he's he's coaching he's coaching for his future. He is. If he he has to impress by a large margin for him to have any chance of coming back next year. Cuz I mean, we we've talked about this on the side ourselves, you know, off air that Louisville is on the borderline of being a top 10 job. So in order for you to get that job, you would have to just blow people away with how great of a job you've done. So yeah, it's understandable why he's emotion why he's emotional. I'm going to be honest. The the last call that he reacted to that that we all have seen the Bobby Portis eyes, everything like that where he's just freaking out. I, that was that was that was a really really bad call. Like if you reverse the roles there, we might actually the, the entire podcast would probably be dedicated to how bad that call was. Mm-hmm. That that was a rough one. I, I got to admit that one. Um, you know the 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 flop by Armando. I mean, yeah, he sold it. But here's my thing, and I've said this multiple times. I've said this. When we watch football games, I've said this when we, you know, when we watch baseball games and guys get hit by pitches, I want you to sell it. <laughs> like you can, you can say whatever you want. Well, that's a cheap way to win a game. That's part of the game. Like, look, if you do it and and the offici- the officials buy it, I'm sorry, I'm not going to apologize for that. That's not cheating the game. The, the officials are part of the game. You on the other side can do the same thing. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if the ro- again, if the roles were reversed or if Armando had shoved somebody and their guy goes down, it would have probably been the same thing. Ultimately, I think in that moment, they're probably trying to get things to not escalate more. More than, honestly... Both teams probably should have been teched up in that situation. They weren't. Only one side was. But yeah, I mean, I can see as as somebody that tries to take an unbiased look, I, you you can see where people people are mad. But I thought a guy that a lot of Toriel fans probably follow, and and I forget who he used to write for or um or blog for, Doc Kennedy, who's on social media, he made a great point. He brought up that, look, did it play a factor? Yes. Carolina was in the lead when both of those technical fouls were called. This was not technicals that switched the score or or switched uh, or, or allowed the lead to switch hands because of the calls. So I think that's a legitimate way to look at it in this case. Louisville was already trailing. Mm-hmm. This just gave Carolina a more significant lead. If Louisville was in the lead and this happened, then you could understand, especially if it was both times, then you could understand where Louisville fans are like, yeah, this cost us the game. But you lost by seven. I don't know. That's hard to That's hard to really make that argument that that was the reason that you lost the game. Yeah, I mean, I thought they should have both been teed up because I thought they mm-hmm. both were, they'd both done enough to warrant a technical foul on both ends. And well, look, that's not that's not what happened. And I, I, I just, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that Carolina won because of the officiating. And I, no, I, and no. I, and I, and I don't think that's why they won the game. I still got to make your free throw shots. I, I, I thought they made the plays that they had to make more often than not. Hmm. And I and I don't want I don't want the officiating to take away from a road win for a team that we didn't trust to go in there and win the game. We talked about they, they that they should win the game. Well, here's the thing: but we didn't trust them to. Nobody's going to take this win away. This is not going to be one where the tournament committee is going to go back and look and say, "Well, you know, technically in this game, the officiating cost Louisville the game." No, they're not going to remember that. They're going to look at that score on a piece of paper and say, okay, now they may remember that Malik Williams didn't play in the game, stuff like that, but they're not going to say, well, because of this game, we're going to leave the Tar Heels out of the tournament. Yep. That's not going to happen. And here's the other thing. You know, we've I, I've had this happen for my teams before where you say to yourself, everybody does, it happens in sports, where you say, man, we got away with one there. 
But guess what? I ain't never say that. I am not apologizing for winning. No. No, that's not happening. <laughs> I'm not apologizing for the referees making a mistake. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Admit this is not this is not that commercial that we've all seen on television of the high school kid who goes over and tells the ref which is that he touched the ball went out on me, ref. Let me go. Nobody ahead and, does that. Let me no tell one. you. That's the worst commercial in the history of sports commercials cuz you're you're promoting Letting your teammates down. Well, I mean, that's what you're doing. It's supposed it's supposed to promote honesty. Here's what I would say if I was that coach. Winning is more important to me than honesty. I would say, hey, Tim, thank you for thank you for telling me that. Thank you for your honesty. Keep it shut. Yeah. Okay, we got the ball. Let's go win this thing. I'm, I I am not going to the like. That's the thing. Like nobody is going to apologize for the fact that the officiating was, you know, made a mistake. Like we're just going to say, hey, look, we still had to go and make the free throw shots, and we won the game. I, I'm not. I'm not saying. Well, you know, really, we should just give this game to Louisville. That's that's not happening. Sorry. And we're not going to we're not going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Now get out of here with that. The biggest reason why Carolina won, the starters stepped up and they they played a massive role. We're going to talk about the bench or lack thereof here in just a minute, but as I mentioned earlier in the show, all five guys in double-figure scoring, and Brady Manick had his best game, you could argue, as a Tar Heel. 24 points, 10 of 18 from the field, 4 of 9 from behind the three-point line, Six rebounds, all in 41 minutes. He was Carolina's offense in the second half for a, a majority portion where shots weren't falling, they couldn't finish at the rim, but if the ball got in Brady Bird's hands, the ball was going through the basket. And He took some tough shots. He did. I told you earlier, you know, we, we, uh, we were talking about the game and also your host on air was talking about the game, said, look, not only did he hit some some shots from the outside, also hit some shots from the block, he took a couple dudes off the bounce and created on his own. I mean, th- it was a complete takeover at one point in the game, something that, I, I, I mean, at the middle point of the season, we didn't think was possible for Manic. Yeah. So you had that going for you. Um R.J. Davis was only 6 of 15 from the field, but four of his six made baskets were threes. Every time it felt like he made a play, it was a big play that Carolina needed. Well, the other thing is, is even go back and look at the games that we've been praising Caleb Love for in the Smith Center. It's These are not the most efficient guards. You're not going to have him or Caleb Love shoot I mean, he had a couple of games. He had one game where he shot perfect. But if, if typically, especially if they get into double-digit shot attempts, they are going to be below 50% shooting from the field. That, that's been them this year, but it doesn't mean that you are not contributing to the success of your team. I mean, look at the way the NBA game is. There are a lot of guys that shoot below 50% n- night in, night out, still put up big numbers. Yep. Uh, Armando Baycott, another double-double, 19 points, 8 of 15 from the field, 22 rebounds, his third 20-rebound game and honestly, of the year. If, did it did it not feel a little quiet? Like, I thought he played oh, well, but it didn't feel like he just outwardly dominated. It's well, just, he's gotten to that point that's now. That's how dominant he is now. Right, where it's just, oh, you know, he got 20, he got 22 rebounds. No, okay. Yeah, when you look back at it, you're like, I could see it, but yeah, that's the point that you've reached with them. Just, I mean, you need, we were begging for someone else to step up on the glass to go with Armando because we had said, look, this is a guy that'll probably give you 9 to 11 a night. Well, <laughs> right now, I mean, you you have to think. He had 22 rebounds. You had 44 overall. He, have ha- he had half of your team's rebounds. That's unreal. We also leave last night's game. Carolina doesn't win that game without the offense Leaky Black provided. Three games in a row. I I said it. I said it after the Boston College game. I pointed him out, and I pointed him out after NC State as well. He's hit five of his last nine three pointers. I, I mean, 
Look, I, I criticized the dude right before the start of last week's home stretch, and I basically called him a liability on the floor. Well, he's taken that and proven me wrong these last four games. I'm not saying he listened to the podcast. I love when you're wrong. But he has, I mean, he's really stepped up, and it it has been the difference. It was, it was a huge difference in that Boston College game, yep. and last night, honestly— it might have been the difference in that game. Well, I mean, look, he was 4-4 four, four from the field. Three of his four made baskets were triples. Hit a big one in overtime, yep. too. Um, made, both, made both of his foul shots. Five rebounds, four assists, all in 43 minutes. This is the type of guy we wanted him to be all along. Didn't happen. We can't change that. But if Carolina's going to do anything significant this season... He's got to be a part of what they're doing on both ends of the court. Well, and the other thing is, is remember the guy he's always been compared to, Theo Pinson. When did Theo play the best basketball of his career? Now, again, this this might not be Leakey's final season because of the COVID rules that could allow him to return next year. But Theo, second half of his senior year, that's really when he started coming on and putting it all together. Sometimes it takes guys a while. Now, Theo, look, again, Theo was a much better player overall throughout the rest of his career. But what I'm saying is that was when he really took it to that next step. And I think we're seeing that with Leakey, too. Uh, yeah, I definitely think so because I, I just I don't think Carolina wins last night without him. Caleb Love, the discussion about this is this is who he is on the road. Yep. He's, he's, not, he's not a good player. Or he's not a quality player. I don't I just don't understand it. And 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 honestly to a certain extent it's also the team as a whole especially on the defensive end of the floor where it's just everything that you do right at home you can't seem to get right on the road. Last night last night was scary because he had the turnover right at the end of regulation. There were more than a couple of times where he had a chance to sprint back on runouts and didn't. Yep. And then you have the one in overtime where he gets blocked, where you could see that the guy had the angle on him, and he he saw him too, and didn't go up strong with the ball, when really what he should have done was knock it. He should have kept dribbling or dished it off, and it would have been a finish. It didn't happen. That Those are the moments that scare me with him because Carolina needs that point guard back there that mm-hmm. has high basketball IQ. And it's moments like this that just leave you scratching your head, especially the turnover at the end of regulation. Yeah. That simply cannot happen, especially for a guy that has has NBA hopes. Yeah. As, as great as the starters were last night, and, and they all five were great in their own way, your bench played 21 minutes in a 45-minute game and didn't score a point. Mm-hmm. It's not sustainable. And to be fair, Justin McCoy played one minute. So really, you basically played seven guys. I, I wonder, do you have to play, I guess you got to play 30 seconds to play a minute, or 31 seconds to play a minute. Technically, yeah, that's how they do it to round it up. Because I don't even know if he was on the court a whole minute. He also he also may have been on the court for more than a minute, and they round down and just stick it with with one. We're we're going off of what we see on stat broadcast. That's that's how we read it. So, but yeah, speak for I, yourself. I got the official scorebook in front of me. Yeah, you actually wrote it down. You you were scoring at home. Um, but I I I don't. It's it's a bold strategy, for sure. Well, I was saying this to you right before we started recording. This is one of those strategies where, if it was the ACC tournament, if it was the final three games of the regular season, maybe you understand, okay, we're going to try to play our starters as much as possible. Because right, right now, it's pretty clear that I think offensively, yes, I, there's some moments from the guys, but definitely defensively, your best five are your starters. Yep. 
So you want them out there as often as you can possibly have them out there. But this is a really bold strategy starting that at the end of January and trying to run this throughout the final month to two months of the season. That's, I'm telling you, that is really, really risky because you're going to, you're, you're going to burn these guys out really quickly. Well, and the the biggest, most frustrating thing is, and look, Puff got 10 minutes and Kerwin Walton got 10 minutes. And look, for those guys, that's not a thing of, that you can't even really blame the coaching staff in in that scenario. You can't say, well, they didn't play him enough. Well, they played 10 minutes. But the thing is, is when both guys were out there for 10 minutes, they didn't do anything. So if they're not scoring the ball, you can't force guys to score the ball. And if they are, in, especially with what we've seen from Leakey here recently, if they're a liability on the court, we'll put back in the other starter because then you've got five guys that can score it on the floor. That's, I mean, it, that's where it becomes a hard argument for you to say, well, keep these guys out there because if they're not scoring, if Puff's not scoring, and if Kerwin's not scoring, more so Kerwin, mm-hmm. what are they really bringing you? Puff brings you some energy. He gets on the floor. Picked up a huge charge. We know that. But what is Kerwin really bringing to you if he's not shooting the basketball, if he's not knocking down shots? He's not bringing anything to you. He's not... He's not a high-end defender, we know that. He's, the, ba- he's gotten better, but still. The saving grace is the fact that they haven't gotten in legitimate foul trouble yet because you're not deep enough to be in foul trouble. Well, you got no, you got in foul trouble last night, and you saw what happened. There were a couple of times in overtime where Armando was in position but simply couldn't contest the shot because if they called a foul, he was out of the game. I'm talking like significant where like him and Brady are both in foul trouble. They, they can manage one or the other. Well, I think last night if 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 Baycott fouls out, they probably would have lost that game. I, I really think so. So that's – but yeah, but you, you're right. You're playing an extremely dangerous game leaning that heavily on your starting five for foul trouble – for energy, injuries. That, I mean, that's the that's the problem that you're you're running into at this and, point. And you're also going to run into a situation where circumstances out of your control is going to force you to put those guys on the court for an extended period of time. And when they don't make the plays that you need to make to win the game, the excuse isn't going to be that they're not talented enough. the The reasoning is going to be they're not experienced enough because they're on the court. And now look, last night, I would have understood not playing the freshman on the road, that type of environment. There's no reason to trust him. Even though the last time that we saw Dontrez Styles, he looked pretty good. But it's it's just something about I want to see more puff. I still think the best version of this team, Kerwin Walton's going to be involved. And I know it's all about he, you got to earn your your minutes and all that. And that that's a great thing. That's a great, and it looks like he's sticking to his guns, but playing seven guys, eight guys a night, well, you've seen your rival do that for the last how many years? You've seen Kentucky be like that from time to time. It doesn't get you very far. I mean, but at this point, if it gets you to the Sweet 16, would you be complaining? I wouldn't. But Now, the thing is, is I think those teams that you talked about, Kentucky and Duke, you're talking about four five five stars on the court. This isn't four or five five stars. There's talent. Yeah. There's no doubt. But it's not at that level. One of the things that you brought up, you brought up a couple of times that they should have seen time earlier in the year that you should have had guys playing even more recently. Well, I think with the three guys that we're talking about right now that Carolina uses most of the time, there were some challenges in the way of that. One, Puff Johnson was not was not healthy. He was coming back from the hip the hip strain. The he had so many different injuries, it was honestly unbelievable that he had to fight back from. And he did, and now he's playing a pretty big role. And look, 
when he was originally coming back, did we even think he would play this big of a role? No. Yeah, no, we didn't think that. And so, if someone told you yes, they're lying. Right. So what you got from him, what you're getting from him now, pretty big. Mm-hmm. With Kerwin Walton, we had that stretch early in the year where he struggled. He lost his time, but then he gained it back. We thought he was getting into a rhythm. Then what happened to him? He goes in health and safety protocols. Since then, hasn't really gotten been able to get back into a rhythm. And then with Justin McCoy... He also had a health and safety protocol stand. So that's that's the problem is you've lost two valuable guys to your bench. And all the guys that are now the most valuable pieces on your bench have all had times where they simply haven't been allowed to be on the court for you to get time. That's, that's where you're working through so much adversity here. I think the beef that Toriel fans can have that's legitimate are the freshmen. Yep. You should have seen more of Styles. You should have seen more of Dunn. But now, it, I mean, honestly, it almost feels like you've kind of dug your grave and you got to live with it. These are the eight guys that have enough experience to play. Maybe you can play Dunn and Styles for a couple of minutes in games going forward. But really, you got you got eight guys. And right now, I mean, he's shortened it to where it's pretty much just seven. Last couple of games, it's been Puff and Kerwin with very little of McCoy. Yep. One last thing to do before we get out of here. Um, Carolina's now won four straight. They're 16-6 and six overall, 8-3 and three in the league. We're on the back half of the ACC slate, um, starting with Duke on Saturday. Has this team, has, has this team finally, finally turned the corner? It is so hard to say because, and and look, four straight wins in the ACC, especially with the fact that you've had to play them all within, what, eight days? Yeah. That's impressive. There's no denying that. The problem is is that you look at the level of competition. They haven't beaten anybody. They really haven't beaten anybody that great. I mean, Virginia Tech, that's probably the best team out of that group. Them or maybe Louisville. I don't see that's the problem. Like it's so hard. You don't even really know. So that is the reason why I am hesitant to say yes. Now the argument against that is that well look at where Louisville was coming into last night. They were five and five right in the middle of the ACC conference standings. The ACC just isn't that good this year. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Ultimately, Saturday is the chance to show that it's the turning point of the season. I think the problem with that thinking though is that if if Carolina wins the game, it's gonna be, well, they're a different team at home. I get that, but I think the thing is, is if you win that game, you 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 have to think that there is confidence that comes out of that and carries over into some of the games. Because look, usually the stretch run of the season is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. It's not as difficult this year because it's, it's the, manageable. The teams that are there are not as good as the teams that you are used to. So some of the road games that are coming up. You, you you would think that this team would be able to handle that, and that could be enough of a confidence booster to get you to that point. I mean, I understand that argument, and you have to address it because as somebody that's already starting to talk about this game you know, to people and, and, and at my job, that's one of my arguments that goes into it is this is a different team at home. But I mean, look at the look at the teams that you've got on the road at the end of the season. If you win this Duke game at Clemson, not a not a great team. You feel like you can beat that team with some confidence that could help you. At Virginia Tech, that's a tough place to go play. Carolina struggled there historically, but we've seen this Virginia Tech team already. They're not where they were expected to be in the preseason. And then it's at NC State who we've played already, we, you know, again, we have the history, pretty sure Roy's going to be at that game, <laughs> and then it's at Duke. So, outside of that last game at Duke, 
I feel comfortable with at Clemson, at Virginia Tech, and at NC State that you can win all three of those games. And with the confidence boost that, hey, we beat a top 10 team, we know we're that good, that could be enough to put you over the top. So that's the reason why I feel like that could be your turning point. I don't think we'll know if this team's turned the corner until the ACC tournament. I don't think there'll be enough there to say definitively yes or no, because I think there will always be some some back channel as to why they have or they haven't. Which ultimately means they probably, haven't turned the corner. Probably leads you to believe that it will be a very similar result to last year, because that was the, the exact same boat we were in last year. Yep. We thought they turned the corner in the ACC tournament, but we were wrong. This year, if you get a more favorable matchup, which means you don't get a stretch big that can shoot the three, then you've probably got a chance to right. advance past the first round. But you're going to be in a similar boat. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Do you want to get you to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. We had you covered all things Louisville last night. Go back and check out my recap from Carolina's win in Kentucky. Football side of things, Carolina's got their 2022 schedule out. Anthony has a breakdown of that schedule. Today was National Signing Day to, to, to put a bow on the 2022 class. Carolina's added a transfer offensive lineman. That's going to be on the site. Mac Brown has an extension. He's going to be in Chapel Hill for another year, uh, longer than we originally thought. That's going to be on the site as well. That'll be a part of weekly storylines. That's uh, wanted a, wanted a whole article, but I guess you only get a weekly storyline. So all that coverage will be up there on the website. As for the podcast, you know where to find us, the Basketball Podcasting Network. We host through Megaphone. We're on every major podcast platform. Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast. We'll pop up. Like the pod, review the pod, but most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any great editions of the pod, which the next edition is one of our favorites of the year. We'll be getting ready for the Duke game, the next edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Do want to thank Anthony for co-hosting with me. Do want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.